Welcome to Big 20, a roundtable discussion where GMs from all walks of life discuss gaming and field questions from viewers. Hosts this week are... I'm Pete Petrusha. I write for Gnome Stew. I run conventions for the Indie Game Developer Network, and I'm a game designer for Imagining Games. Hey, I'm Wayne from Fear the Boot, and uh, just launched my own writer's page at waynecole.net. And that beautiful wall that you're seeing <laughs> is uh, Dan from Fear the Boot, which uh, he'll be back in just a moment. So the, uh, this episode, we're going to talk about convention DMing. And uh, let's uh, go ahead and get that started with yeah. Pete. So uh, this is something I do all the time because I, I do a convention, it seems like every month. Um, the perks of being convention coordinator. Um, so I get to uh, set up the room, set up the GM, set up a format, uh, run a lot of games myself. Uh, it's a great way to run playtest specialty games that might be coming out in the future. Um, I also have the weird thing where I run a lot of games for the first time with new people, uh, which a lot of people like to do with the comfort of their home group. <laughs> Wayne, what's your experience with uh, convention games and running games for conventions? So it is amazing to me because I never talked to anyone else that has the, that same experience. I organize Fear the Con, figure out where all the tables are, who's, you know, who's going to be at each yeah. table, where the games are being run. Uh, I've run a lot of convention games. I've played in a lot of convention games as well because that's how I like to try new games. Uh, yeah, it's very, very similar experience. A lot of con games, just not this year. You said something there, which I think is uh, very interesting because not everyone's a fan of playing convention games. Uh, do you find yourself playing convention games because you truly like them? Is it just an attempt to learn games so that you don't have to read them? Or is it just because like you have the luxury of going to conventions that are close to you? Like for the con is you're obviously a part of that anyway, right? So. Yeah. So a big part of it for me was I came to gaming later in life. I was in my late 20s before I ever started any gaming. So I didn't have the history that a lot of people had with games. So con games were my way to try out new groups, new GMs. I love sitting under a new GM because you can learn something from anyone that's running something. I love it as a way to, you know, basically get out of my comfort zone and try new systems without having to dedicate a campaign to them. I think there's definitely something that can be said for a good con game because a, a campaign, much more serious characters typically for me at least, and a con game you can really let go and you're not worried about if your character lives or dies. And for a campaign, I don't play campaigns with characters that were from other media. Like I would, if I were doing a superhero game, I wouldn't be Spider-Man. But in a con game, I would. So I always feel like it opens things up for me. You said something there that's also very interesting in the way that like you talked about being Spider-Man. Um, I've seen that if you're the kind when I've attended, that there were quite a few games that used popularized characters as the cast. Because what's interesting for a con game in particular, right, is you don't have the luxury of getting a group to like really get to know each other and feel at every part of their character to find out who they are and what their role is in the party over the course of like a good solid four hour session followed by another and another and another. So, I, you know, play, you know, if you, if we all knew who Marvel characters are, it's a great place to start of being like, Oh, I'm Peter Parker. I get it. I I'm the Spider-Man esque hero. This tells me a lot about the personality, who I am, kind of what bounds I have, right. It lets me just drop in quicker. Um, yeah, and I've run Marvel and DC games at cons with, you know, always with those type characters because 
people do. They already know who the characters are. They know how to play them. They just find it easier and they can focus on the story and not worry about who their character is because they already know it. Yeah. You also said, what I love is, like you said, the expendable nature of it. Like we know we have, you know, two to four hours to get this done. And by get this done, I mean, have our fun, whatever yeah. that means. So what I love is that there's all too, maybe it's just my personal experience, but there's plenty of times people play it safe, right? They're like holding back their chips, their cool abilities, um, the, the perks they can do once per game or whatever. But we all kind of know we're sharing the spotlight. So there's only so much time that we all have our cool stuff to do. So people just start, you know, they run place to place, they drop bombs, they make things explode, they jump out of windows. They do, you know, they play a little more loose, which is fun, I think. Yeah, you hit on the hardest thing about running a con game, at least for me. And you mentioned two to four hours. Pacing is always the hardest thing. Because when I sit down with my regular group, I know these people. I know how they're going to play. You know, you never know what people are going to do at the table, but you've got an idea and a feel for what they're going to spend time on. You sit down at a con table where you don't know anybody, you've got no idea. So pacing is always something, when I first started running con games, I struggled with. You know, I, I've got it down now, and part of the reason I, got it, I had to do that is I would either do one of two things. I either prepared way too much, and none of the content would be hit, and it would feel like they were missing out on the whole story. Yeah. Or I wouldn't prepare enough, and then I would be winging it, which I'm fine with winging it. Sure. But it was that I had to learn early on that over-preparing is, for me, worse than under-preparing. Yeah. Yeah, we, you know, I feel like we've talked about that quite a bit, and probably even more so on the episodes that I haven't been a part of. But, you know, prep is such a thing. A lot of it goes to your own level. We kind of start overpriming for a long period of time because we're all so fearful of staring at you know faces that are just glassed over that are like I don't know what should I do you know like we're all worried that the players will have no initiative and no say um, which hopefully you've been fortunate because you started later in life but you know when I started running games and I was like a freshman in high school um, it was definitely very fifty fifty because people could be playing their their the a role-playing game for the first time at every session because everyone was getting into it. And there was a lot more of that blank face thing going on, you know? I've done a lot of that, but I haven't done that at con games as much as for a while I was running D&D Adventure League at our local game store, Miniature Market. And I've particularly wanted the beginner's tables, people that hadn't played before, because I like introducing people to the hobby. And I'm, I'm not a big module person, and those are pretty much all modules. But yeah. I felt I could add something to it. And people would be a lot more interested if their first game was not the, okay, roll initiative. Yeah. I have a particular session when I, I, I did a little bit of that to find some more members in my local community to try to bring out to other games. And I had a Pathfinder GM that's local to me that was funny because you could tell at the end of the session because he literally was like complaining to us to our face, like kind of, kind of you know, passive aggressively, being like, You can't fall much. Me and other players were like, You took it over. It was some kind of like walk into this house and weird shit's going on. The butler obviously has something to do with it. And we were like walking around the house, looking at windows. You know, Pathfinder and D&D &D don't have like, rule sets for right they just like oh well i guess that sounds like dexterity 
or that sounds like stealth. But we have to Sometimes you get a whole group that does know each other, and they run in weird directions. Oh yeah, I had that once. That that was a D and D adventure league game, not a con game. And everyone that sat down, they had their characters all ready to go, and they were all a party of gnomes. <laughs> and they they all knew each other. They had done this before, and this was their, you know, this was their first time with these characters, but. You know, it was a table of people that all knew each other and they already gelled. And that was one of the more fun games I ran. Sorry, I just I just took a look at the. Um, oh, sorry, young one. I just took a look at the chat and someone was talking about how they did a con game where they showed up with music, chose a song and listened to one and then chose a system and ran a game like just total improv. That's pretty awesome. Wow. Hey, Eric, not to break the fourth wall, but how do I sound to you? Uh, you, you are coming up uh, a little choppy. Not okay. every once in a while, it's, it's okay. But then when you're going on your long talk, it really like uh, broke up. Figures, right? <laughs> Went robotic oh, for a bit. And thank you for asking, VC. Charlie is doing okay. He gets these seizures every so often. Um, they're not life-threatening. Uh, he is aware during them and things like that, but he loses control of his body and starts foiling and becomes very, very frightened. Um, so I just, I go and hold him and then put a towel under his mouth to keep him from drooling all over himself and hold him a bit to limit how much he's shaking. And then usually it passes in about 10 minutes. Just unfortunate that this one happened, well, at all, but it also happened right at the start of this recording. So as Eric's running the intro music, I'm flipping my computer over and running away. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered what but, happened to you. you. You were like, hey, I got to get up a second. And then you came back, and then you were gone. Yeah, I figured it was something about Charlie, but... Yeah. So we so, should probably get some tips. So far, we haven't talked about any tips. I, we kind of talked a little bit about the experience, Dan, of like what a con game is, some of the you know, perks, like you know, people are going to run with it. You only got a limited amount of time, so that kind of helps with pacing. But one of my favorite tips of pacing for a con game is like an hour and a half before the session's supposed to be over, we hit our climax, which a lot of, in a lot of con games, that is the epic battle or something, but we want to make sure we have enough time to make the climax successful. So at an hour and a half before the session ends, if it's like a four hour or three hour session, we go to climax. I find the way where we start sidestepping or fast forward, we hit the button because I hate when we have like 30 minutes left and that's when it gets good. Yeah. I never aim for the full time of the slot. Uh, I like that. I need to. I like That's to give great. people a little bit of time between, you know, even usually there'll be time between slots, but I like giving people a little bit more time. So if it's a four hour slot, I'll aim for 3.45. And people are happy to have more time as long as it's not like they feel like they got gypped. Like, oh, I got an hour and a half and it's a four hour slot, you know? Yeah, there, there's a point that uh, going back to VC, he just made there that I think is, it's a good bit of perspective. Uh, he was making the comment, number one perk of a con game, if I don't like you, I don't have to see you again. <laughs> they put joke after that. But um, the, I, I think people sometimes get locked up in a con game because they're fixated on the fact that these are total strangers. They're like, I don't know these people. Um, let's be honest, a lot of us gamers have anxiety issues or, or whatnot. And so they, they focus so much on the fact that these are strangers but that also at the same time ought to be your biggest reassurance because if it sucks, 
you know, you haven't really burnt anything. I mean, if you try your best, you know, you really do try your best and hopefully we'll be able to give some useful tips tonight for that. And it sucks. Then keep in mind, these are just strangers. You're never going to see them again. You know, they're not going to profoundly dislike you to begin with, unless they're terribly maladjusted. But even if they do, you know, you go home, it's over, it's done. Yeah, very um, true for most people that are running games. Uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the mic. One of the added uh, stressors for me when running a con game is the fact that I'm on a podcast and all these people have listened to me and I may have never met them, but they know all about me and my life and they have expectations or they don't have expectations, but in my head they have expectations. And I have to make this thing ever because I'm organizing this con and if they come and don't have a good time, well, then that's my fault. And that's one of the things I take into a con game. Um, not as much anymore, but at least in the beginning when I hadn't run very many games, that was a huge stress for me is, you know, I don't know them, but they know me and they know of me and they have expectations that I don't know that I can live up to. Right. So I think one of the things, uh, let me, I'm going to give several bits of advice here. One of them is you have to be, if you're running this game, you have to be the leader. Um, and what I mean by that is let's start with the attitude at the table because it really doesn't matter what happens in the game as long as people are having fun. And yeah, there is a point where you can overdo it, but I would say, you know, don't hesitate to get in there to start doing funny voices, to get really into the game, to look excited about it, to, you know, with your first plot points, don't be like, okay, you're in a room, there's three doors, what do you do? Be like, okay, so you guys are in this room and there are these three doors and you know that one of them is going to get you where you want to go and the other two are going to make it a lot harder, you know. And you, you give it to them with that level of excitement and you start to draw them in and then you'll start to find usually there's going to be one or two people at the table that are themselves pretty boisterous. And now that you've just hit their on switch, uh, they're going to carry that. I'll take that one step further. And one thing I like to do when I start the game and throughout it, stand up. Yeah. Stand up and make yourself more seen. Your voice is projecting better. And at least when you're getting started, you're bringing all the attention to you because everyone else is sitting down and you're standing up. Right. And, you know, I, I do the same thing. At home games, I sit down, but at con games, I tend to stand up the whole time. Also, when I run Battletech, I tend to stand up. Like, and I mean, the MechWarrior RPG, I tend to stand up a lot for some reason. I don't know why that is. That's but, really interesting because it's funny. Me as a tall person, I'm I'm always more concerned about. Um, like, I do a lot of sales, and for example, being the tallest person in sales is not a great thing because more people are less inclined to approach you. So I try to sit down more often when it comes to stuff like the con game so that um, if someone is short or smaller, I don't come off as intimidating because that's the last thing I want in the GM player relationship. But uh, I don't know if that's a tall person thing or if something that I'm just interpreting and taking over to. Well, I'm over six feet tall. I mean, it's, it's, there's a difference between standing up and looming over someone. Right. Yeah. I, guess. <laughs> I mean, I can stand up to show excitement, but still stay at my place in the table, yeah, you know, or even a, a step or two right? back like from the table. At least several feet back. He's <laughs> never standing over there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to like stand up and then walk behind the person to my right, start giving them a shoulder massage and see where <laughs> things go. I mean, 
one, one of the other things I find I do when I'm preparing for a con Thanks game, for the segue, Wayne. When, I, when, I'm making, uh, so when I'm making my characters, I, I'll go over the top with them. Uh, well, I might do a normal balanced character that I'm you know, running for a regular game. For a con game, people have, these are what they're really good at. And everyone has something they're really good at. And I'll do personality write-ups for them that are very small because people aren't going to read the whole sheet. Yeah. But I'll give them personality quirks that are noticeable ones that are easy to pick off. Because at a con game, subtlety doesn't play out as well. Subtlety is something that goes really well over time. But when you have a short time, I like to put things more open and in your face. Yeah, absolutely. Give me something to play. You know, when you hand me that character... If it's a blank sheet, you know, like it's, uh, when I say blank sheet, I mean blank because it's not filled up, but I mean, you just hand me the stats. You know, Dan, you're playing the rogue. Okay. You know, well, what is, what does that mean exactly? I mean, I, I know what it means in the rules, but yeah. if you hand me a, a cheat sheet that has a couple suggested personality traits, you know, three to five, maybe, I'm probably not going to latch onto all of them, but it will give me something that where I feel like, okay, I can know or interpret this character. And like Wayne said, these have got to be obvious things because you don't have time for it to play out. So, you know, if you're, if you're the rogue, put something like you're a good cut purse, but you're trying to reform and you have a lot of guilt toward it. You really don't like stealing things. Um, you have a weird animosity toward the wizard. Um, and me, I don't know, and say, you need to discuss with the wizard before the game starts why that is. Um, but you know, things that are, once again, obvious, um, you're growing too old for what you do. And that's really starting to bug you. I like when they give you role, like relationships. Um, but you know, the, the key part here, the takeaway that both of you said that I want to echo is don't overwhelm the players. Um, I'm one of those players also that I have a really hard time like comprehending what I'm reading when I'm surrounded by five people I don't know and then maybe they're all talking. So there's a, all that attention really makes it very hard for me to comprehend really well what I'm reading. And then I've, I'm already sitting down thinking I'm the slowest reader here. It's going to take me time to understand this. They're moving on. They're moving on. So don't, you know, there are plenty of times you get a character sheet and the whole back page is filled out and it's all character background information. Right, like Dan said, give us a little bit to role play. Right, give one us other a little tip, bit of an idea of what to do. One other tip on that is, if you have to give a little more information, hold that information back. Put the character sheets out there. Let people, you know, give them the basic. This is what the character is, and then when they pick their character, then give them the rest of the information. That way, they're not trying to read the whole backstories of yeah. all of the characters. So, my example of that one is uh, a couple of years ago at a Fear of the Con. I ran a game based on the Marvel Exiles property. Uh, Basically a group of people that travel to alternate realities. So all of them were alternate reality versions of characters that they knew. I gave the basic pitch of this is Spider-Man. Here is what's different about him. And then when the person picked him, then I gave him the sheet that said, here's what was different about your world. So they could have things to role play off of it. Because I knew if I put the entire thing out there, it was going to take forever for people to pick their characters. Yeah, there's definitely a middle ground, right? You, you do want to give them more than the blank sheet because most of the time I do get that sheet. But like Dan said, it's just stats. 
and it's a new yeah. game system, so I don't even know necessarily. I probably have a pretty good handle of it as a game designer. I start looking at, like, what is this character sheet telling me? What's the direction of the game? What did I learn from the pitch? But not everyone's going to be the same way. They're just like, where are my attributes? There's more of the six stats here. You know, they don't well, know what they're looking at. Yeah, exactly, because you have to focus on when you're giving them this, you have to focus on the things that are actionable. Yeah. You know, if let's keep going with D&D. You know, you hand me a D&D sheet. You know, I'm going to look at my class. I'm going to look at my race. I'm going to look at what my weapon is, you know, maybe yeah. what feats you picked. Because these are all buttons I'm going to press in the game. These are the things I can do. And then if you hand me, a, like, a pamphlet on my backstory and how I fit into the world, one, I don't have time to read it, and two, in the course of four hours, it is not going to come out anyway. Yeah. Give me a few things that are actionable. You know, these are the things that aren't just traits of your character, but traits of your character that you can easily express. If you hand me a sheet and I don't know what to do with the things on it, then you're just wasting my time and confusing me and possibly, if I'm a little bit more shy, flustering me or overwhelming me. And I know some players prefer to have, you know, that background given to them of this is what the character's like. And others like to just come up with their own character concept on it, providing it's not like a licensed property where they're pre-made characters for that. That's why I always like to leave, I leave things as vague as possible while giving information. You know, if I need something to have been part of the backstory, I'll throw it in. For the same reason, I don't pick gender on the sheets. If it's not a pre, if it's a character I'm making, any character can be a male or a female or whatever. It doesn't matter for the the course of the game. Yeah, same here. Unless it's pre-written, like fixed characters. Like I have a homebrew Transformers game. If I run that and they are all playing, you know, a certain set of they they're playing uh, the Constructicons. Well, name and gender is kind of set. I mean, insofar as a Transformer has a gender. Um, but no, like, uh, there was a, uh, military sci-fi game I ran and all I put was rank and last name. I didn't even, I mean, forget gender. I didn't even give them a first name. So, but I didn't make them make up the name. So, cause I mean, for some reason that's the hardest blank on the character sheet. Yeah. So you know, you'd be like Lieutenant Howell. Now I don't know what your first name is, but quite frankly, neither, you don't even need to pick one. And whether you're male, female, or you want your character to be male or female or whatever, I mean, it just was a, just a non-thing. Because, um, yeah, you want people to be able to sort of intuit who that person is. That's what role-playing is. Yeah, I will say for games that are like powered by the Apocalypse games, I don't pre-make the characters. On those, say, Monster Hearts or Masks or any game like that that has... I think that that character creation is a fun part of the game. And those happen quickly enough that you can create everyone's character in 15 minutes and get on with the game. Yeah. So I like those because they take care of all of that. And then everyone feels like they've built the group together and that you have that buy-in. Right. It definitely depends game to game. Something else you can do that might help is give everyone a cheat sheet uh, of things they're going to need to know for this game. And I'm not talking like your character or even the plot. I am talking basic mechanics, especially yeah. if it's a game. And don't assume everyone's familiar with the game. You know, uh, So if you're running, like the first time I played in an, a Powered by the Apocalypse game, it was real nice because whether you like this trait of the game or hate it, uh, 
every combat round you have like what is it like six one of six actions you can pick from yeah yeah. And whatever it is you want to do gets reframed or reinterpreted in the course of six actions. And so the guy that was running the game for me handed me a cheat sheet that had those six actions. And it also, you know, for the place you have to drive stats, like, you know, what is my actual to hit with this stupid dagger and like a Pathfinder game? You know, instead of just giving you all the math, it, it just sets out that, hey, if you're trying to hit someone with this, di- uh, this dagger, this is your bonus. If we tell you it's a ranged touch attack, this is your bonus, you know, and even if you don't know what those means, at least the GM can say, okay, we'll look at your sheet and what is your ranged touch attack? Yeah. You know, and now we'll do that and your ice, your knife has struck them with ice or something. I don't know, whatever. But um, I, you do this with any game. When I run uh, the Star Trek ship on ship simulator, uh, everyone that's there is playing a console. And yes, the console takes a little bit of orientation, but for the most part, it's basically your worksheet for playing the game. All your numbers are right there. You just circle a box, do a little bit of napkin math, and then pass the number to the next station. You know, And there you go. Your, your ship is running. It's all right in front of you. Uh, Battletech, if you're doing the mech-on-mech combat, they have a great uh, one sheet that has all the charts that you need to know to play the game um but you know give people these little cheat sheets so they feel a little bit less intimidated by the game or because i've seen people some people take it okay but i've seen some people even when everyone at the table is being real cool start to get really flustered be like well i don't know where that is and i don't know what this means and this is my first time playing this and it's it's like hey calm down you know i think people don't want to ask for help right they don't want to like I, there's plenty of times I've been the silent person at the table and I'm fumbling through the book and I'm trying to find the information that if you would have just put on the table, I would have easily been able to use and then get right into the game. And if I'm that person, you're probably trying to get me in the game anyway, right? You're looking at like, yeah. well, why is Pete looking at the book? I hope I can get Pete's character into the scene. So he's playing, but you, which we're not talking about is Pete's looking for the mechanics of what he can do best. You know, the best con game character sheets have those built into them. But for the ones that don't, you don't necessarily have to even create your own cheat sheet. There's a million of them out there on Google. Yeah. yeah. I frequently search for cheat sheets before I run con games. And even before I run campaign games, if it's a system that I can hand out to people. One of the things I learned the hard way is that whatever you have in your mind for where things physically are, no one else has that in their mind. So I have taken to, if locations matter... I'll have a map ready to put down on the table, not like a big combat map for the minis or anything, but just a drawn map. Because in some of my early con games, I ended up having to grab a sheet of paper and start drawing a map real quick. So people would see where, where is this city in relation to this city and what's along the way. So it saves a lot of time to just have those ready. And if you don't need it, you don't need it. But if yeah. you've already got it ready, you've saved your time doing it. One thing I haven't done that, that I've been thinking about is proper nouns. Like a cheat sheet of proper nouns. You know, something easily referenced, not a, this is a dictionary or an encyclopedia reference for these locations. But, you know, let's say you're doing Star Trek, you know, warp drive, how they travel faster than light. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Phaser, weapon. There's plenty of reasons why a lot of games need a glossary, and it's great that you touched on that because I never hear anybody mention that, and that's a good one. 
people need to know the terminology because they, again, it's another thing that might stop them from talking or talking as their character. I played a Savage Rifts Con game and I had no idea what anyone was talking about. Yeah. Because I knew nothing about Rifts. And there's a lot of proper nouns. Yeah. I, I, I can already think of exactly some of the issues you were having. An improv GM, if I recall correctly, uh, you are in fact Meow Meow, and it was indeed your Apocalypse World game that I was first uh, introduced to, uh, and that little cheat sheet was incredibly good. Who, by the way, he's a great GM in general. Man, if you ever get a chance oh, yeah. to play under Michael Matthews, and if um, he's going to a con, he'll be playing. He'll be running a game in every slot. Yeah, you, you treat yourself to playing in a game under him. He does an outstanding job, and I, there's this great scene at the end of the game where this one character wanted to throw her life away uh, to help save a group of us that were retreating by a boat. And um, I was playing the group's medic, and I I said something like, uh, I found out the character had a daughter. And I'm like, I said, you know, I I tried to RP it out, what about your daughter or whatever? And then finally I just uh, passed the note to Michael and said, uh, I'm just going to walk up from behind her and inject her with an anesthetic. (laughs) they were on the boat the player was mad but you know what it was a great scene the most intense role-playing scene i've ever had at a con game was in one of his dread games and it was it was one that moment me and the other player who was uh he goes by church on the in the fear of the boot community we got up and as we role-played out the scene you know we actually hugged each other right there and it was incredibly intense, and the, the game was just incredible. Well, and that's you know another option, of course, is if you are worried about this kind of thing, you could always choose to run a relatively rules-light system. Um, I mean, I'm not saying don't run games like D&D or Starfleet Battles or something like that. That's what the people want. But if you are feeling overwhelmed by the whole thing or don't feel like you're going to be able to explain it very well, or you're new to GMing at cons and don't know how to juggle, you know, the interest level at the table alongside this, alongside that, it might behoove you to pick a relatively simple system. You know, Savage Worlds, whatever their current version is of Explorer. I know they've updated editions recently. Um, Dread, because it plays with the Jenga Tower. Um, simple, look, you have five stats, roll high. Uh, Brodor ran one called the You Tell Me system <laughs> where when I, I just on principle now just want to hit you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure if Gage is in the chat, he's cheering, but I don't have the chat up this week. I it's, do. That's, uh, why, Savage... that's why I keep that's why I keep looking off camera as I'm reading the chat. It's um, Savage World's Adventure Edition is the current version. So and is, is that is that the one that's like a pamphlet, like a nine dollar pamphlet like Explorer Edition used to be? Oh no, I have I have the hard book version of hardback. Because Explorer version. Edition was a really short, small book yep. yeah, meant to let you quickly design and run a game. Um Yeah, they have a softback, smaller version of this, but I have the hardback one. Because yeah, it's the you, only one miniature market had on the shelf at the time. Yeah, and if you need suggestions for like, hey, I need a rules light sci-fi game or fantasy game. Man, go anywhere on the internet and post that. I guarantee you people are going to have suggestions yeah. for you. You know what the first con me. game I ever That's ran I was? <laughs> first con game I ever ran was Skies of Glass because that's, that's Dan's homebrew system that is not yet published. 
because I knew nobody at the table knew it better than me because Dan wasn't at the table. (laughs) Oh, Mikey, I got to give him credit, though. Mikey Mason, he he ran it for me. Not many people run a game for its creator, but he ran it for me. Yeah, I've done that for Chad a few times because he said that nobody had ever run his games for him. So I've run a few of his for him. So one of the things we, we didn't really talk about, but it was thrown out there, but it's really key to a con game is, you know, kind of that concept of starting with action. How do you two feel about that? Do you think that they need room to breathe in their characters or is it like dangerous around the corner or do we just make sure that, hey, you're dropped right in the middle of war, something's going on, and then point A to point B to point C and then the roller coaster is in? I would strike a middle road generally. And it depends on the exact game and the plot, but I would, I would typically go for a middle road. Because I think, on the one hand, to drop them right into combat, you have set the pace of the game. Um, they don't may necessarily understand this is an intro scene. They're immediately trying to find all the combat stats on the sheet. They're not given any time to ease into the character. And the first thing they're being asked to do is mechanical in nature, not story in nature. But conversely, I think the damned worst thing you can possibly do to a group is be like, you're in this situation. And by the situation, I don't mean violence. I mean, like, you're in the color animal in. What do you do? <laughs> yeah, I usually like to start uh, you, off. With, I don't know. <laughs> I usually like to start off with some sort of uh, event, but definitely never. I never start off with combat. I always start off with something event happening either they're in the middle of something or they're standing in front of, you know, go to the D&D example. They're standing in front of the king. Uh, actually, the first Bard's Bard game I ran, uh, I used to run a series of games where everyone was a bard. I called them the Bard's Bard, and they were comedic games. The very first one that I ran, I started off with them all in front of the king who was getting ready to give them their mission. And then I went, I looked at each player. I was like, okay, why did your duke want you to, dead to assign you to the king for this mission? Yeah. He asked for his best and, you know, asked for the best and brightest warriors, and you all were sent because your dukes, each one wanted you dead. What did you do? And I let them give some of that flavor to their character. Yeah, exactly. Put something in their way. You know, you can be like... Um, Oh, for example, in one in that military sci-fi game I ran that I was talking about earlier, I let off with the commanding officer walks into the room, and I give a description for him, and I make him this very, I mean, he's very archetypal, almost stereotypical, because it's easy to relate to. You know, he's, uh, you know, gruff commanding presence with that, you know, carefully groomed mustache and gray hair, and he's got a deep sort of barking voice, and you know, but leads off with things where I don't even, I demand a response. Like uh, the guy walks in and says, you know, walks up to the highest ranking person in the group and says, you know, Lieutenant, do you know why I trust you for missions? And right there, you have to create some kind of role play. If they say no, then I can have the commanding officer riff off of that and say, you know, any number of things. Uh, he could say, uh, I don't like that lack of initiative. Usually you're a lot more spot on, and that's why I trust you. you know, or he could say something like, 
because you don't know exactly what I'm thinking. And so you just follow <laughs> orders. <laughs> it made me you feel know? very much like I was playing outer worlds, like, like yeah, it's but a I mean, game kind of response thing. Like no matter what you, you say, it works. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've already got mapped out at least a short path for here's everything they're going to do. And of course the other people at the table are laughing and they're getting more relaxed as this person's getting grilled where nothing they say is good enough or something, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, but you can do the same thing, like, let's say a D&D game, I'm playing the rogue and, you know, you can start off with a degree of action that isn't violence. You can tell me, you know, okay, I got caught for something really stupid. You know, I walked out of a, of a tavern, didn't pay for the drink. I, you know, maybe I even forgot to pay for it, but because I have a reputation, they've thrown me in the pokey again. And there's the guard, and it's Nedry, and Nedry and I have been on a first-name basis for years. Um, I've been in his jail, and I've also attended his kids' birthday parties. How are you going to get out of here, you know? One talk thing to I, Nedry, try and pick the lock, you know, there's, there's... Yeah, one thing I don't recommend doing, and I, you can make it work, but one thing I just don't recommend doing because I think it sets you off on a bad foot is... You know, let's say you've set up a situation uh, to start off with. Introduce all the characters together. Sure. Don't do, here's where you're at, here's where you're at, here's where you're at, and they're not together. Uh, giving Dan's example of the prison. When, you're, when the rogue is thrown in the prison, the rest of the party is there waiting for him in the cell. Well, or heck, maybe Nedry is actually the uh, player character town guard yeah you know and like i said i mean it's it's he's got to do what he's got to do and i've been accused of something i may or may not have done but it's a role-playing scene right there between two characters yep but you what know? you don't want to do is everyone's in a prison cell and you expect the rogue to escape and let everyone else out with them when he goes Oh, yeah, because, well, I mean, two reasons. One, <laughs> it takes too long. You've got a three- to four-hour slot at a con. You spent the first hour, hour and a half getting everyone together. And secondly, come on, has anyone here ever GM before? What you're going to get is not a nice assembly of characters in the town square. It's going to be a rolling shit show. You know, the, the rogue's going to have screwed something up, and now he's got half the town guard chasing him. You know... <laughs> the paladin wandered into the wrong temple and now he's created this political religious war within the city. And this guy just had to try and rob a magic store on his way here. And, you know, I mean, come on, it's, now it's not going to happen going on at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and then when they get together, your plots out the window anyway, and you know, you could argue, well, they're having fun. So it's not a problem. And I would agree with that much. But they're having fun that has a circulating spotlight. They're, <laughs> each of them is spending one-fifth of that game with their thumb in their butt. And that's a, that, and that's yeah. a bad move. <laughs> Don't do that. And that's that. what I was going to hit on with the, you know, let's say you have the rogue and you were planning on him breaking out. Well, whoever is fifth in line to be freed has now gone 15, 20 minutes into the con game yeah. without any interaction. Yeah. It's so interesting when you said that. You made me think of it earlier when we were talking about, like, giving players a role to play on their character sheet. But like sometimes the worst thing you can do is partner, like have bonds between characters and like prepare your, your prep for the game in a way at which those bonds have to create events 
right? Because like, like we're, we're talking about here, there's moments where you're like, well, this character hates that character. So obviously when the shit hits the fan, they're going to fight or run from each other. And then of course that doesn't happen because they didn't, that's not what they were thinking. And you just assumed that that was going to happen. And whatever logic you had maybe made sense to you, but it didn't pan out at the table. Oh yeah. And the other thing Full is expectations. Yeah. The other thing is when you've done those roles from a, let's say mechanically standpoint, you want everyone to be able to be good at something, but you don't want them to be the only person that can do that. Cause yeah. I don't know about you guys. I create extra characters. So people have a choice and I'll have a leftover character. And if yeah. I've made a game where someone has to have lockpick, and that's the one character that nobody took, then I've got to think of a new way around that. But if I have one character that is the you know savant master of lockpick, but two other characters are kind of okay at it, I'm good. Yeah, or make sure that your mage has a, a knock spell already memorized, or there's there's several ways you can get through this, or you know. Um, but no, that's oh, Eric Center. Eric's giving me a hold. So, young one is asking, uh, have you ever, have you guys ever had a con game where you were running just go horrible? He says, I know that we know about social yeah. landmines and how to avoid them. Uh, more like, uh, have people just totally not gotten the game or completely like shut down? Um, I can talk so to that. I mean, I, I've had a, a few years back, I had two games that I was running and I took them to Origins and Gen Con and it was the Song of Ice and Fire, which was the most recent release of, uh, you know, Game of Thrones. And then it was uh, Monsters and Other Childish Things, another favorite of mine. So it was interesting because I got to take them to, you know, just two, I ran them, I think three or four times that year, but it was the same prep, same character, same, you know. Um, but to see the game sometimes take off at one place and then just fall on its face in the next was really interesting to me at that time. Um, just as a person making adventures of cool games, I thought, right. Um, particularly I had this game of Thrones game and it all started with this sort of event of an heir being ousted and their, their crew all running from basically the civilization that was turning on them by a traitorous brother and them all collecting together and then having options of like, well, then how are they going to try to take back the throne? And, in one game, all kinds of stuff went from that. But then the next game, literally, it, it, it was three hours of we hung out at, in front of the stable where they were talking and didn't go anywhere. And as things came to change that, they just had no gumption. And the person who was the heir apparent to kind of make the choice, everyone kept kicking it back to that person and then letting them not make a choice. <laughs> so just playing to that, that it, it's wild how sometimes – a game can just be so dramatically different. A game is in module or adventure in this case that I made um, in, you know, multiple scenarios, multiple playthroughs. I love that. It's one of the first things I did when I ran a con game was I did a prep for one game and then I ran it in two sessions with two different groups and it went drastically different. So I've never had a game like explode at a uh, con game, never had the awkwardness happen. Uh, my biggest failing of a con game was I had one that it went totally off the rails, but it was in a fun way and everything was going great. And it reached a point where the game logically needed to end <laughs> at two hours of a four hour slot. I and have never run a game where this has happened. The worst I've seen out of a game I was running was 
mediocre. You know, I've never had a game totally die. I've had a few that I thought, okay, that was not that exciting, which I think is somewhat a weakness of mine in general because my best games are the long games. I'm far better at the long bomb than I am at creating the four hours of madness. Um, Though, I mean, I played under GMs who are very, very, very good at it. I I just know I'm not one of them. Um, But the only one I've had really just go horribly wrong was one I was playing in. It was a GURPS game. And it was just so boring. (laughs) I mean, I cannot even put into words like you're starting to contemplate the things you would rather be doing because at least (laughs) they'd perk you up like an ice water enema or hitting your balls with a hammer. Um, But yeah, it was several of us. I felt bad. I felt kind of guilty about this, but several of us found excuses to leave. Yeah. Oh yeah, if we had games that we've been in that have been utter just disasters, the very first Savage Worlds game I ever played left me thinking Savage Worlds was the most confusing system in the world, most complicated, and was just horrid. The GM at the time was drunk. His girlfriend, long-term girlfriend, was sitting there, and she kept saying things over and over, like, I've gamed with this man for 10 years, so when he says this, it means this. <laughs> and the game itself was just, it was boring, it was horrible. We were being railroaded by another player sitting next to him that he was, you know, basically letting run the table while he was drunk because it was his girlfriend. And just yeah. everything that could have gone wrong about that game did. Uh, I had another one that was, uh, it didn't go like horribly bad, but it had that moment. And this was a, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Scooby-Thulu games. Uh, It's basically Scooby-Doo, only horrible Cthulhu stuff. Yeah. Those are a lot of fun. But there was one where it was a Dukes of Hazards meet a team run by the guy that normally runs those. And he was doing that type of game. Two of the players had stepped aside beforehand and figured out boundaries that we didn't know about. (laughs) And we have one black player and one white player, and the white player says something so racist, the entire table's jaw drops and we all go silent. (laughs) Because we didn't know that they had worked out that they were going to do this before the game. You didn't know he'd given him a pass. Yes. (laughs) And we were all just like, oh, my God, what, what do we do? What do we say here? We, we can't let that just go. <laughs> I, I have seen individual – I wasn't running this game, but I have seen individual players walk away. Uh, when I was in Brodor's game, uh, it, I mean, it, it was a very different kind of offensive, but it was Brodor's game. And uh, – at one point, this guy was playing, and his wife came up, and oh, she just she was sitting at the table next to us listening to this, and oh, just the look of disapproval on her face. I mean, I, the the meme of the Karen had not been created yet, but I mean, this was, yeah, I mean, just she was just scorning everything, and then she pulled him aside, and I believe he ended up having to leave the game early. Oh my god! Wow. So I had one where uh, 
it was one of my bard's bard game and it was a really loud energetic game and the uh the loudest guy a woman turns around sitting next to him and said could you try to be quiet and it's just so pointed the table goes quiet because no one other than me and him knew that that was his wife that just turned around and said it to him <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah that would be awkward it was it's, it's, it, we told the table it's his wife she's giving him a hard time okay but it was just when it happened it was that moment of everyone at the table has this look on their face of oh my god that just happened see i'm glad I, you were you were taken aback by that because i'm the sort of person that i have one of two reactions either i'm taken aback or i just go for blood <laughs> it's gonna be one of the two so either i'm gonna be shocked into silence or i'm gonna be like uh woman this is a gaming con you know if you don't understand how that works i'm sorry oh enjoy your game <laughs> And then I turn it up a notch because I'm a I, child. I had a person on Twitter earlier ask um, for tips going into online games, given the coronavirus, that um, clearly convention games might not be something that's so near in the future as online convention or just online games in general. Um, what tips would we offer to players or to GMs running online games maybe for their first time? Um, one of the things I just wanted to throw as a starter was like, I think number of players, not number of players is a huge thing. Um, and maybe the time amount that you spend playing a game online, uh, given usually even with video face-to-face, -face, they're at a keyboard where they can go to Google and all kinds of other distractions. So, you know, usually shorter games are better or shorter sessions and preferably with maybe two or three players instead of like five or six or seven, yeah. which you would have uh, otherwise. Pete, I, I have a request here. Yeah. That is a huge topic that I would love to jump into. And I think, um, for the reason you just gave, is going to be unusually important in the coming nine months. Um, Eric, can, is there a show where there's a similar lineup where we could tackle this topic yeah, as its own I, show? Yeah, because I could use advice on it because I'm going to be running my first online game coming up uh, in April or so. What I'm So here, here's what I want to do with the... If, if, yeah, Eric, so who's on the 29th? That might be... Yeah, so I don't know what I'm on next, but yeah, if like you get me and Pete on a, a one next or whatever, I, I would love to tackle that topic then. Yeah. Um, with the last five or 10 minutes we got here, because once again, I think that's too big of a question. It's a great question, but it's just yeah. too big. Yeah, um, I could use the advice on it too. And I have a lot of advice from the player side because I've played in a lot of online ones. I've seen what, what does and doesn't work. I just haven't run one yet. And I'm, like I said, I'm getting ready to. Um, but what I would let me let me check the chat myself here real quick, just make sure that there's because my phone just. Well, while Dan's looking at that, one of the things I thought we should really point out too that um, Wayne had said earlier was that like it's so important to do new as you go. You know, you have a limited amount of time, but you also have a limited amount of attention span in a con game. So don't just throw everything on the table right when the game starts. Like if you can teach the game. You know, like, here's your character sheet. Here's what you need to know. Let's get playing a little bit. Cool. Yeah. Here's how we actually do skill rolls. Cool. Here's how we do, you know, combat. Cool. Like, in the way that's interesting over the course of the game, and hopefully in a way where they get to try it before they get to actually use it to their full advantage at the end of the game. Yeah, right? you so, don't need to know how combat works until combat yeah. starts. And for most games, if you've played a little bit leading up to it, you've got the basic of the rules down, and you just need to know what's different for combat. 
so let me give a little bit of a note here, which is actually, this is going to be the next topic we talk about on Fear the Boot. Um, but just a little bit of insight to the people that are listening right now. So I just got home from something called Gamma Expo, which used to be called GTS for the Gamma Trade Show. They apparently very recently renamed it the Gamma Expo. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what the Gamma Expo is, is the Game Manufacturers Association Expo. There is an industry group called Gamma that exists to basically help the tabletop gaming industry support itself or support each other. So you get board games in there, you know, Mayfair is in there, you get uh, uh, card games, role-playing games. The organized just, Origins Game Fair as well, since yes. the 70s. Used to Gamma, be yeah, Gamma actually runs Origins. That's their public-facing show. But they start real early in the year, usually like February or March, with an internal industry show. Uh, because it allows people to network with each other, to kind of bounce ideas off each other, to show off their new products, to figure out how they want to tackle the coming product season. Because the product season basically follows the con season through the holidays. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what they're doing there. And usually these are very well-attended cons. And you get a pretty good sense for what's going to be coming out the next year. Yeah. Um, in fact, one of the reasons I went was I was hoping to get some really good sneak peeks to deliver. Um, but what I saw instead was a largely empty con. Um, and the conversations, and I'm not going to name names, but the conversations that I heard when I was sitting in restaurants or bars and just listening to the table behind me, um, there were a lot of people all over the industry, retailers, publishers, artists, authors, who were basically talking about they have a lot of concern right now because ours is not an industry that is made very well to weather storms. Um, now, the hobby is. The hobby is great for weathering storms, yeah. but the industry behind it is not. Can you imagine game stores? Yeah, I can't. Well, and that's where, and I, you know, and I, I don't want to get all, all, you know, doomsaying here because I, I don't know, you know, it's, I don't want to fear monger. Right? I don't know where this is headed. All I'm going to say is around us and most of them get their business from gathering spaces. Yeah. Well, and gathering spaces. Go away. It, exactly. They and can't have the gathering. Yeah. And uh, they also run off of selling the games. The vast majority of games marketing occurs at conventions. Where do people find out about the big releases this year? Well, they might see an article, but where most people really hear about it is a friend of theirs or they themselves go to a con, they play the game, they take a picture of it, they talk about how excited they are about it, it gets upvoted on Reddit or whatever, and it gets out there. Yeah. And if the con season does not occur, you are looking at a lot of damage done to the retailers who will no longer have the play space or the product interest, the publishers who have no way of marketing their products, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the point of that, and there's a lot I can say about this and a lot I'm going to say about this on our own show, but the, the, the point I want to make here of how this is relevant to con games is with cons this year, uh, understand that if you have any at all, it is going to be people that are very desperate for that game and experience, which means you're actually, things are probably going to be in your favor because they're just going to be so happy to see other nerds face to face that you might be able to get away with a few shortcuts. But <laughs> um, 
I think where you're going to see a lot of your impromptu gaming this year is going to be an online gaming, yeah. either with online games that you run for a group or online conventions or whatever. So um, if you are not it, tapped into online gaming, but it's also not something you're 100% against, because some people just don't like online gaming, and that's fair. Yeah. But if you are open to it, now is a good time to start searching for those communities and getting plugged into them, because that's going to be your gaming fix this summer and fall. And I can't guarantee you that, but based on everything I just saw this past week, I fully believe it. Little shout out to the gauntlet. If you uh, look like story oriented games, very narrative focused, rules light, uh, the gauntlet RPG, you can just look up gauntlet RPG and you'll find a whole community behind it. They have a great uh, discord and Patreon setup where you can pay per month and you get access to really the, the real treat is all the players who run the games for you. I mean, they're, they're just great people to play with. Yeah. And something I'm starting to look at is the, uh, and we'll talk about this, somebody don't even forget this, when we talk about online gaming, let's talk about the beauty of West Marches and how it fixes so many problems in online gaming. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know what West Marches is or don't know how it fixes online gaming, then stay tuned to Eric's show because that's where we're going to be talking about that. Because <laughs> I have no idea what it is. Never heard of it. Oh, you're going to hear about it because I'm about to start one up. So right. I know we're down to our last little bit here. Eric, pass it to you. <laughs> All right. So uh, while we're wrapping it up here, um, go ahead and tell everybody uh, where they can find you. Start with Pete. Okay. Um, so my next Gnome Stew article goes up on Monday the 23rd. So not this Monday, but the following one, gnomestew.com, uh, I believe, right? Unless it went to .org. <laughs> anyway, the GM blog. Um, uh, all our games are full for Gen Con, for all those people who volunteer to run games, which is great. Thank you so much. As um, long as Gen Con happens. Crossing my fingers. You know, I only have 260 game events scheduled with 40 to 80 GMs, so <laughs> it's crazy to think about that. But uh, we did have someone drop out if you're interested in running the Hyperlight Drifter, uh, officially licensed tabletop RPG. We'll be able to give you a GM badge for one of those. You can get me at conventions at IGDNonline.com or, you know, at Ben Brander, like you're saying. Next. Dan. I'm Dan from Fear of the Boot. I am all over the place, but probably the easiest way to find a good single clearinghouse of all my stuff is feartheboot.com. All right, uh, I'm Wayne, also from Fear the Boot. You can find me over there. And uh, I said recently launched WayneCole.net, where you can find links to all of the podcast, actual plays, and uh, I'll be starting blogging on there soon as well. All right, well, thank you, Pete, Dan, and Wayne for hosting this week. Um, and also thank you to Improv GM, uh, for the awesome uh, talking about the, the improv game and your input in the chat. Also, young young one, as always, uh, super strong in the young chat. One. Awesome. Young one. Um, and thank you all for watching. Hosts next week are Chris, Chad, and Pedro. Remember, Big 20 streams every Sunday at 9 p.m. Central on twitch.tv slash gamers table. Have a good night. Yes.